were listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, actually. How are you? Good. I'm feeling like we're mutual friends. <laughs> I, yeah. You went for See what I did there? I did see what you did there. <laughs> Man, okay, so something happened this week. I have been editing Battle Ready. And you haven't edited in probably, what, a decade? A decade. Could you we know. even call that editing? Back then, though, you were back learning then. about editing. I was then. learning. About, I was, I was <laughs> under, learning to understand the process. Uh, so I edited this last podcast episode. So if you disliked it. You just edited that out. It's David's <laughs> fault for getting COVID. <laughs> no, um, no. one of our guys was out, and, and I was like, hey, I'll step in. And Austin gave me a little crash course Course. on how to edit and i I did the last episode and you know what it just it it gave me so i have so much respect for editors it gave me a kick in the butt i have so much respect for the editors that's awesome for the tech it's always good people yep we love you david come back i learned i was so (laughs) anxious the first day like learning something new something that you're not naturally good at but are you naturally good at it? I mean, I don't know, but I, I figured it out. Because Austin said you're really good. You did well, a great job. We had a good time hanging out. And you may not be able to move as fast as Austin. No, definitely not. After the end of day <laughs> two, oh, I guess it was Monday night. We were here till 10 p.m. And he was catching up on everything he's doing. And we like, I was like, oh, what'd you get done? He listed off about seven things. And I was like, well, I finished the one episode. Tomorrow I have to pull clips. <laughs> you got to show me how to do the intro. Well, you're Batman trying to race Flash. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That means you have your own superpowers, oh, but don't run against Austin. Don't run against when Austin. it comes to yes. editing. Yes. So <laughs> You are not Superman racing Flash. So you I are just, Batman racing Flash. I just want to dedicate this episode to all the editors out there. <laughs> oh, wow. I need and some soft de- music. Definitely. I know. We need background. some smooth jazz. And mm-hmm. definitely our editors and our team. So Austin St. John. David Yanez. Uh, All right, then. Brian Hartley's been in the studio the last couple of weeks. What's up? Or last couple of days? Well, I just thought I was going to do a little homage here. The homage to what? For all of you listening tonight. Uh, For all you editors that this makes feel, me feel unappreciated and unloved. I want you to know that I'm thinking about you tonight. I don't. And this next do. session no. is dedicated to you. No. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> and we're back. All right. <laughs> All right. You so didn't know I could do that. <laughs> I didn't know, and I don't want to know. <laughs> Late and night. now I understand how I was made. <laughs> That's where the Raphael comes from. <laughs> That's the, okay, okay. If you're listening and you're scarred by this, <laughs> your parents had to have sex to have you. I'm so sorry. Aaron, you're not supposed to tell people that. Is it like Santa Claus? <laughs> it's, but... Um, some kid is in the back seat of the car going, Mom, you had what? <laughs> That's interesting because back in the days with Lucille Ball, yes. when they were doing I Love Lucy, yes. they said that she was not allowed to. Um, they weren't even allowed to sleep she in the was, same Well, bed. she wasn't allowed to say she was pregnant on television yes. or be pregnant as a character. That's right. Because it would imply that you and your husband had sex at some point. And... And so it was. It was just the most risque television in the world for a wife to be pregnant what was, with a child. <laughs> what was the name of the movie that we watched? Aaron Sorkin wrote and directed it. Yeah, I cannot remember, but it was the you know, um, I the, Love Lucy. Um, what's their real name? It was. I think it was after his real name. 
Ricardo. You know, the Ricardos. Being the Ricardos. Being the Ricardos. Yeah. There yeah. we go. It was really good. It I, I liked it, actually. Yeah. yeah, it was good. That was really interesting. And that whole section about, you know, she was like, I'm pregnant. We're going to be pregnant on the air. I'm going to have the kid. <laughs> and they were just mortified. And it was like mm-hmm. Phyllis Mor- Philip Morris Agency, mm-hmm. which owned all the cigarette brands yeah. back in the day, or I guess yeah. still do. It so is kind of amazing, though, as, as an immigrant and uh, a Latin, that Desi Arnaz had so much power, so much influence back that many decades ago. Because even today, I mean, that was in the 60s or whatever, 50s, 60s, it's 2021. Right. And Latins have such limited and small amount of influence in the film and television world that it's incredible that he had so much so early on. What are you talking about? We have George Lopez. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? I've actually met George. (laughs) Have you? Yes. Years ago, though. I'm always confused why it's not Jorge Lopez. (laughs) <laughs> is George Lopez because you can't get work if you're Jorge because if you're truly Latin no because no, if you're Jorge you're going to be mowing the lawn if you're George you might get a job on inside of the building and that's still the reality in the world in which we live you know but I am grateful for the Javier Bardins in the world I'm and, grateful uh, for the I'm grateful for the Jorge's who mow the lawn yeah no who mow the lawn absolutely those are our people yeah well, we're digressing here but I cannot tell you how many times I would go meet someone and they find out from, I'm from El Salvador, they go, oh, yes. you know, my lawn people from El Salvador, do you know them? Or, oh, you know, my cook is from El Salvador. And, and, I, and, I, and, and I don't even know how to tell people how insulting it is that they think that um, everyone from El Salvador knows each other and we're yeah. all in the laundry business, lawn business, or landscape business if we've upgraded or construction business. And, and um, I just accept that that's part of the reality of the world we live in. People are not trying to be insulting. They're actually trying to find some way connecting. <laughs> white people are funny aren't they austin yes and, but if i if austin if i met you and uh, and where's your hometown kansas city kansas all right if i said oh i know a cook in kansas city do you know him wouldn't you think that would be the most bizarre thing for me to ask absolutely but well, you know like what is uh avery's from kansas city too right yeah did you guys know each other no not at all but you're both white right seems like you should <laughs> seems like you should have <laughs> <laughs> it is funny how that works, right? Yeah, it is. And uh, but my mom said it, it's it's uh, and my mom, you know, she still speaks English with an accent. We were talking about this last week. I got to see her, and she said, "My own uh, daughter says to me, oh, I just met these people from El Salvador.' And uh, do you know?" My mom goes, "How am I supposed to know everyone in El Salvador?" She goes, "Even my own kids do the same thing that other people do. So maybe it's not just a." No. Uh, a, a, a an ethnic issue is just a human issue. I really, I got into Yellowstone. Oh, wow. Have you seen it? I've seen the pilot. Goodness. Kevin Cosner does a great job. A great job. And then I watched a little bit of 1883, which is the prequel. Ooh, uh-huh. I think I'm in love with that girl. I don't know what her name is. <laughs> well, then it's not going to go well. <laughs> I don't need to know her name. I just need to know that I, I need her to know that I'm in it. I'm in, I'm in this to win it. It's me, me and you forever. Um, no, she's beautiful. But uh, it was I, the guy in 1883, the dad, mm-hmm. was so good. And yeah. so I started Googling, like, I'll who is this guy? And it was Tim McGraw. Wow. And his wife in the show. Faith Hill? It's Faith Hill. And in real life, it's Faith Hill. Wow. I, I was, and they're I, not singing? No. 
They, I actually thought the acting was great. Oh, that's amazing. Especially from Tim McGraw. I watched the pilot. I didn't realize it was Tim McGraw since I don't really know country music. No, me and, neither. And I probably wouldn't have identified Faith Hill in that moment. But I, but I thought the pilot was amazing. And by the way, I do have, even since I was probably in my early 20s, um, I began then a practice. I watched the pilot of almost every single show that comes out. Yeah. Because I love being a student of story, narrative, art. And so I've done that all my life. I watched pretty much every single pilot. And that doesn't mean I watched episode two. It doesn't mean I don't like it. You only have so much time you can watch things. Uh, but I just love seeing story making. I've got a great country playlist now. Oh, you do? Ryan Bingham, Sunrise. Mississippi Twilight, Here and Gone, Jason Isbell, Last of My Kind, Tyler Childers, Nose to the Grindstone. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I uh, keep wait a minute, just wait a shazamming the songs. <laughs> are those songs and and musicians or artists? Yeah, the the songs or the artist and the song that they because I can on the show. I can honestly say yeah I am completely unfamiliar with both the artist and the song. <laughs> are we allowed to play? Can we play a little bit of music on no, here? I don't no. think are, you, you can play a short clip. Okay, we're advertising for you. It's so good, isn't it? Who could... Okay, that's Mississippi Twilight. That's, but that's really good. Wow, I have goosebumps. Yeah? Yeah, it's really good. Who would have known? You know, I'm grateful. That, that feels I'm gr almost like, I don't know, like a combination of bluegrass and it does it, it feel well it feels like blue like old like hymnal blues. gospel yeah. like a blues yeah, yeah 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 i'm really into country right now not super into it so don't be sending see me. this is this is how i know that you can do everything you can as a parent yeah but it doesn't always go the way you want it to go because i i raised you and mariah both to not like country or opera and you ended up both liking country at I don't, different points I, i'm not that into opera though and it's funny because I ended up falling in love with the Phantom of the Opera and saw it in probably five different cities around the world. But that's not really an opera. What? Well, it's, it's a rock. It's a it's a musical it's, about an opera. <laughs> that's it's it's a modern opera. Okay. Les Mis is an opera. Les Mis is not an opera. Okay, it's not. It's a musical. It's theater. a musical. Okay. Yes, musical theory. No it's way. Theater. Yeah. I don't yeah, yeah. I don't mess with musical theater. Okay. <laughs> tick tick boom. No. Tick tick no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I did watch West Side Story. No, nah, I didn't watch no. that. No okay. one watched that. And I wanted to watch it. Did you see it, Austin? You I did. watched it. Did you like it? Uh, it had some really, really incredible moments, but the songs kind of throw you out of it. Mm. I like Ansel Igor. Okay. So which okay. one did you like? You said you watched <sighs> the guy who did Hamilton. Oh yeah, he... Manuel in the Heights. Yes. Into the Heights. Is it Into, into the, the Heights? Uh, I think In the Heights. In the Heights. In the Heights. Yeah. About Harlem, right? Yeah. And Puerto Rican culture. I loved it. Yeah. It's, I loved it. I, I cried at the end. It was really good. I liked it. Was it was so good. Yeah. But you know, when we talk anyway. about TV, film, art, storytelling, one of the things that um, for me is really interesting is when I watch a series, I kind of wait for that one line that captures me that captures the essence of of the tension of the story and and you know we brought up a, f uh, a few episodes ago about in the mayor's uh, mayor of kingston uh the line but i've been wondering is it possible to grow back your soul and and there's been a lot of different shows where one line for me captures me and um, i've had a, a really almost like a, a lifelong friend at least for the last 30 years scott reynolds who uh writes in the industry and uh, he's 
Uh, he's been one of the writers on Dexter for seasons and seasons, and now he's one of the executive producers and writers. And uh, so I watched this last season of Dexter, and it, it, it's a kind of a, a they harsh brought narrative. it back, right? They brought it back to yeah. kind of read, uh, redeem it, to reclaim it, to tie pieces together. And um, is it done now? It's done. It's finished. Done. Yeah. And okay. And there was this one line because Dexter is a serial killer who is raised by, uh, um, I think, a cop who teaches him a code that, in a sense, he becomes the hero. He only kills serial killers. So it's a pretty dark show. And so now he has a son who he laughed because he didn't want his son to become like him. And his son's now, whatever, 16, and he finds his dad. And you, you find the same violent tendencies. Um, and Dexter has what he calls his... Um, dark passenger he realizes his son struggles with the same dark passenger mm. and i watched this whole series and there was this one line that struck me where his son without like giving away everything to anyone who's ever going to watch it but but there was this one line that stayed with me his son looked at him and said i am not like you i am like this because of you mm. And I, and I thought, whoever wrote that line has a great insight to human behavior and to the human struggle. Because I, I think that all of us go through a journey where we're not sure who we are. We're not sure how much of us is shaped by the people who have shaped us and how much is actually us. How much is the you that you don't want to be you you're trying to get rid of and how much of it is the you that you have actually embraced and taken on. Mm. And, and I think about that both with my, um, you know, my mom, my, my stepdad, my real father that I don't remember, my family, my grandparents who raised me when I was younger, uh, the influences in my life. And I think about how much of that um, is who I am or, how, you know, how much of it am I like them or how much Am I like this because of them? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, how, how much of you is you because of me and your mom and how much of you is truly who you are, but it's an extension of us too. Mm -hmm. And, and I, just, I, I just thought it'd be really interesting to talk for a few minutes about making that distinction in your own life that, um, you know, you may come out of a lot of trauma or maybe you come out even a lot of darkness. And that darkness has a momentum in your life and it can actually shape you and make you into a certain kind of person. And you may think that that is sort of like your fate. You know, you, you've been raised with this brand on you and because your father's an alcoholic, you're now an alcoholic or because you come from a violent home, then you now become violent. Um, you, you know, you, you come from someone who um, was always victimized and now you're always choosing relationships where you're always victimized and and there has to come a certain point in your life where you kind of take a stand you go i'm not like you i'm like this because of you mm. because when you when you accept that this is who you are i'm like you in their worst behaviors or their worst habits or their worst character um you've taken on that person and now it's you mm. but if you go no no i'm not like you but i'm like this because of you then you're saying, I can't deny the impact you've had in my life. I can't deny how much of you I'm reflecting, mm -hmm. but this isn't who I am at my core because 
I refuse to remain like this. I refuse to be this person. Right. And I, I just thought in the context of the darkest possible scenario, the son of a serial killer, where now he's almost being groomed to become a serial killer. Mm. And he has to decide whether he's going to carry on this, in a sense, the dark legacy of his father or whether he's going to rise above the worst possible uh, scenario to become someone different. Mm. And in a very, very dark narrative, I feel that there was also like um, a glimmer of this hope that we can all become more or better or someone else. And have you ever have you ever felt that or resonated with that? You know, I know I'm your dad, but but I think it's okay. Like to because I think there's a lot of people listening right now too. Well, I think it goes both ways, right? I think mm-hmm. that's such a great example of a situation in which, you know, the father struggles with something really deeply and it's very dark. Right. And the son has to decide whether he's going to take in the footsteps, walk in the footsteps of his father or break the legacy mm-hmm. of the darkness, right? For, it was the opposite for me. Mm. It, you were so good and and I struggled with being dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. No, yes. And so, you know, it, and then, then, so I guess the question I would ask is this, how do you start over? Mm. And can you start over? And, and to kind of maybe it's an attachment of uh, in addition to can you regrow your soul, but how do you start new within the legacy that you're born into? You know, so many people talk about this idea of generational curses, which mm-hmm. I, I don't agree, mm-hmm. but there are generational environments. Yeah. Right. There's generational momentum for sure. For sure. And yeah. so I think you you can't look at it as a curse. You have to look at it as a launching pad. And sometimes that launching pad is at a massive deficit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost a disadvantage to come from where you come from. Um, luckily, I, it was such an advantage for me. And I think I threw away so much of it. If I had just maybe slowed things down, mm-hmm. you know, and I, because one thing that I've realized is that uh, I make decisions poorly in the moment <laughs> I need to take a second and not be impulsive and make the healthiest choice. Mm. So for me, that was like, that's step one, at least to how to break, you know, maybe not the legacy, but break the, uh, bad patterns in your own life. Mm-hmm. But can you start new and mm-hmm. how do you start new when you're battling legacy, whether it's good or bad? Cause I feel like, you know, it's both, both <laughs> situations are hard. You haven't come from a bad legacy. It, <laughs> You know, you're like, okay, I don't want to be that. If you have a new, if you come from a great legacy, you're like, I can't live up to that. Yeah, no, I think you're giving a great insight. Like if, if you're coming from a negative past, the question is, are you going to live down to that? Right. And then if you come from a really like noble past, it's like, can I really live up to that? Right. And they can both be as heavy a burden on a young kid trying to figure out who they are. There's almost nothing. There's no such thing as a clean slate. Mm. Right, you 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 are starting life, <laughs> and at least your 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 cognitive years where you gain consciousness and you gain <laughs> understanding, and you're aware of what's going on. But there's premeditated data, <laughs> preloaded data that has been or information that has been absorbed by your youth, mm-hmm. right? Years one through four, yeah. one yeah. through three, 
Mm-hmm. And then you start becoming, you know, you can make bad. I see Rooney, my goddaughter, Eric's <laughs> and Eric and Tessa's daughter. She knows when she's making bad decisions. Oh, she's very smart. <laughs> she's very smart. Yeah. And she's only 18 months. Yeah. And I'm like, oh and no, are has, we this evil, this young? <laughs> and she has two very clever parents. <laughs> she does, which is made like a mad scientist of a child because she's yeah. so lovely. Mm-hmm. She hugs everyone, yeah. but she knows exactly how to get mm-hmm. out of certain situations. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, sometimes, yeah, no, it just made me think about, I, I had a um, a really interesting conversation with my mom last week when I went to see her in Florida. And, you know, she started sharing some stories about her childhood and the trauma she went through. And, mm-hmm. um, and frankly, like stories so painful that it made my pain look minimal. Mm. And I realized, wow, she she cut the trauma that I experienced by 50% mm-hmm. <laughs> from what she experienced. And I may have felt like it wasn't cut enough, mm-hmm. but I'm like, thank God she cut it by as much as she did. Yeah. And then she, she said, you know, when I left El Salvador to go over for Pan Am, she goes, you know the first thing I should have done? <laughs> and I said, change your name. <laughs> And, and she goes, no, no, honey, I did do that. <laughs> and that's right. That's right. That's why I made grants. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I mean, we came to the States, Cardona Carvajal and uh, Sandoval Mesa, and, and I ended up McManus, right? And uh, so she goes, no, no, what I should have done. She goes, the first thing I should have done when I got to, you know, the States was I should have gone to therapy. Mm. And she goes, I should have found a way to get healthy before I brought you boys back. And what a, I, I, she just totally caught me off guard. And I said, yeah, but mom, therapy wasn't that popular back then. Yeah. You know, because they sent me and they didn't send me to therapy. They sent me to a psychiatrist. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, right. I was going to a shrink, you know, it's right. like a head shrinker back then. And, and nobody went to therapy to get better. Everybody went to therapy if you were insane. Right. So you wouldn't be committed. It was like it it was almost a social death sentence, right? Oh, it was. You couldn't yeah, yeah you, could you get a job or you know, yeah. get a promotion and but I just love the fact that she's looking back now at 83 saying, "I wish what I'd done is I had taken time to get better." She said, "I didn't realize I was so traumatized that I was carrying all that into the future." So, publicly here on this podcast, I want to thank my mom for not allowing all the trauma she experienced to become my own traumatic experience. Mm. And um, because sometimes you don't realize, because you're going, well, you know, you did this or you didn't do this for me. You forget that you might be experiencing 20% of the amount of pain and trauma they went through and they're doing the best they can to protect you. But it's in those impulsive moments where in a sense, the darkness, the dark passenger comes out. Mm. And, and a part of moving toward health, and see, you already hit the first point because you said, how can we change? And you've already told people how to change. Um, choose to not react, but to act. You know, realize that, that when you carry the momentum of, of, a, of, of, a, of a negative legacy, of a, I'm gonna use the Dexter language of that dark passenger. And that dark passenger will become you every time you react. Mm. 
and the you will be because you're giving up the right to be the conductor and you need to always be in charge of you know of the of the train that you're carrying into the future so when you stop and you reflect and you choose when you take control over your actions rather than just letting your reactions uh, shape your future you're now taking away the power of that passenger because you're not letting the passenger lead you're actually the conductor you're the driver. Wow, that's incredible. That's it. I mean, if you start there, you're going right. to change your life. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and and the part of the difficult is that difficulty is that you're not just carrying trauma, or you're not just carrying like the curse that you're talking about. You're also carrying all the emotions that keep that trauma alive, mm -hmm. and that and 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 the emotions are really tricky because they're more like a soup. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know some people, some people like to keep their food separate. <laughs> like, you know, they don't you want. You are that person. <laughs> what are you talking about? You hate sharing. No, you're but... the most generous person I know by default. When, whenever we're 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 out to dinner with people, you're like, oh, just take it. And I'm looking at him being, looking at you, the subject of this conversation, <laughs> going, he's generous because he doesn't want to eat it after you eat it. The moment you touch it is now yours. He has ordered another one. Well, I'm talking about even like on your plate though. Like, you know, some people like to keep the corn where the corn should be and the rice where the rice should be uh, and the beans where yes. the beans should be and the meat. And you don't want anything touching, you know. So do you love like Erwan Market where it's just, so, it has the dividers? It's just so nice. Right? It's so, so good. It's like yeah, everything where it should be. The two veggies. Right. Well, trauma and emotions are not like that. Wow. It, it's it's basically, you know how you get that really nice packaging that's all separate. And then when yeah. you get home, it's it has gone over all the borders and it's all mixed together. And, it's soup. And you have to decide, am I going to still eat this? And right. It's amazing how it looks great when it's separated. And then it looks un edible when it's all mixed together. Like, can I eat this together? It's the same stuff and it mixes in your stomach. And you see, when you go through trauma or you go through, when you have that dark passenger, what's happening is that all these emotions are wrapped up. They don't stay in their compartment. So now you've got fear because maybe, you know, you were like powerless. So you have fear, but added to that fear is bitterness because you have resentment and betrayal. And then on top of that, then, but that fear and bitterness makes you feel powerless. So you add anger and so that now you can feel more powerful because the thing is that fear makes you feel powerless and anger makes you feel powerful. It, it lies to you. And um, and then like fear is, is inner directed and anger is externally directed. And so then you can add anger, then you, but anger is not enough. So then you add hate. Mm. And so then you have this entire um, section of your, you know, um, of your compartment filled with all these emotions and you can't separate them. And and then somewhere in there tying them all together is unforgiveness. And and so then you go, wait a minute, okay, how do I get rid of the fear? But I don't want to get rid of the bitterness. <laughs> or how do I get rid of the fear and bitterness? But I don't want to get rid of the anger. You know, and and you have to realize, no, they're all connected together. And you go, oh, I want to get rid of all these emotions, but I don't want to forgive. You realize, no, like the the fear, the bitterness, the anger, the hatred, it's all tied together in the unforgiveness. And the only way you can actually clean out your soul is to move to forgiveness. And a lot of times that's why it's hard. No one says, I don't, I, I want to hold on to the fear, but people do say, I'm not ready to forgive. You have to realize that they're all interconnected. And a huge part of being able to reinvent yourself, to become a new person, to be able to draw the line 
I'm not like you, I'm like this because of you, is, because, is now to turn the channel and go, but you no longer have any more power of my life and I get to choose who I am going forward. I feel like the, the worst points in my life were when I wouldn't forgive myself mm -hmm. and I hated myself. And so we, I think sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't like what we see, mm -hmm. whether it's visually or internally. And then we struggle with that. Can we forgive ourselves? Can we turn the hatred towards ourselves uh, into love? You're, you have to treat your mind with care. Yeah. Right? And, mm -hmm. and like in the Bible, it talks about guarding your heart. And I was listening to a video on my way here of someone talking about the moments before moral failure are oftentimes the moments where you don't guard your heart. So oftentimes our morality fails when our, the view of ourself fails. And so when our relationship, whether it's with God or with humans or just even our own self, when the relationship, the strong, the healthy relationship internally dissolves or fades or is broken or is fragmented, I think even moments like Dexter, he sees himself in his father or sees his father and knows that he comes from him to some degree he is made in the image of his father. He's having to decide what he actually believes. He's having to create this filter. Like I am mm -hmm. like you or I'm not like you just because I'm genetically half of you. Right. Doesn't mean that I am going to let those things be declared over my life or mm -hmm. you know, seep into my soul. Yeah, there's also like a, a, a dark side on the flip side that I think you just identified that in a sense, Dexter, only really felt like his son's father when he felt his son was like him. And this is the reality is that so oftentimes the people in your life will not celebrate you when you change for the better. Wow. You would think they would. Right. But, I, but they do not. When, if, you're, if you're the son of an alcoholic and you try to stop drinking, you cannot expect your father who's an alcoholic and maybe your mother who facilitates that alcoholism to actually cheer you on. You can't expect that they will create subtle, unspoken opportunities for you to fail. When, um, when your family is um, un unmotivated to change, let's say, their economic condition, and you get out there and you get an education, but they're not educated, don't be surprised if they feel like you getting an education is a waste of your life. Right. You trying to better your life is like your statement that you're better than them. And usually when people try to pull away from the gravitational pull right. of, their, of their family's negative choices, they are treated as if they're the bad guy. Mm. And one of the great challenges is to decide that you're going to become better regardless of how it affects your relationships wow. and who you have to leave behind. And so maybe this is a part of it. Maybe step one is learning how to not react, but to act. But I think maybe somewhere in, if it's step two or whatever step, is you have to decide to go forward no matter who you have to leave behind. Mm. And that I think and for maybe, a lot of people is hard. I think that's, that's a hard thing, right? Because yeah. maybe you don't deserve to have both, to be the new you and to keep the, the old people that we're filling your environment. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm really lucky. You guys were always willing to hang in there. Don't cut people out when they're calling you to more just because they irritate you. You need to cut out the people who are satisfied with you being less. Yeah. And own it. Yeah. You're either anchored in your past or anchored in your future, even with people. Right. Yeah. It's so true.
And, uh, and I think that's a part of the challenge is um, a lot of times we expect support from the people who can't support us because us changing is an indictment on their not changing. And, you know, and, and that's why it's so important to surround yourself with mutual friends, with people who, um, who right. want a better future for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, who want to create something new, who want to have uh, great relationships, who, um, who want to have deep friendships, who, you know, look, decide what you want, and then build your friendships on people who want those things too. I think this is there's a verse that I've always loved, mm. uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. But it, it's hard, <laughs> right? It's yeah. hard to be the new mm -hmm. inside of the old because it's not like you get a new body. <laughs> you know, you, right. your body still feels the things you did to it, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Or your mind still feels the things you inputted into it. Right. And so how do how is it that we can be new and yet we're old? <laughs> you know, like the old is gone-ish. Gone-ish. But the new <laughs> That's a good theological and term. And the new isn't like I'm not talking <laughs> about the old is gone person, the new is here person. I'm talking about the the gone it's gone-ish and it's it's not here, it's over there. I got to get there. So there's a new newish. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it, like, how, what do you do when you're in that in-between yes. season, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because it says the new has come. So what the scriptures are saying is you're not becoming new, you are new. But now, but God put the new you inside of old hardware. Right. And so your brain has been trained to be whoever you were before. Your body has been trained to crave whatever you taught it to crave. And so uh, the moment you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that you've trained your body to want sugar. It doesn't right. change the fact that you've maybe um, been focusing your mind on things that are really destructive. And it doesn't change the fact that you maybe have allowed emotions like whatever, envy or bitterness or, um, you know, to, to shape who you are. And so there's an unraveling of all those things that have to happen. And, if you've gotten, let's say, if you've taken 25 years to get your life into a mess and then you give your life to Jesus, you shouldn't expect him to unravel it in five minutes right? because God is actually making you new and that process, well, it takes a lifetime. And yeah. sometimes we're not happy with how long it takes. But I will say this, you do get to have a huge role in how slow or how fast the change happens. Right. It happens slowly if you're unteachable and you don't realign your life with the wisdom of God. Right. It happens fast when you align your life with the wisdom that God brings into your life and you move faster and faster to the light. And, um, and so that's why I tell people, look, once you've given your life to Jesus, you're going to get to the new you. It's going to be slow or fast. That part's up to you. Right. And, and if you just keep making bad choices throughout your entire life, that new you is going to happen in the next life. <laughs> but I just, I want to become as much of the new me now as possible. Right. And, um, and that happens really by re, I mean, the Bible actually talks about how you have to renew your mind. You have to change the way you think. And so what you, what you're thinking about is what you're going to become. Okay. So we have, 
a little bit of time left. Can I hit you with some Bible questions? Okay. You, you said, well, I don't know if they're Bible questions, but they're my questions. All right. And I'm sure the Bible. I'm sure your questions about the Bible. <laughs> my questions about the Bible. Five minutes left. So uh, I have a question. You talked okay. about if, if you can't figure out how to become the new person in this life. I feel like that a lot of times. I'm mm-hmm. like, I know who I want to be. And yet I, I settle for who I let myself be. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and you said that the next life, why is it so important to know where we go when we die? And do you really think people are going to heaven and hell? And why is that important? Yeah. I don't think it's important for people to know where they're going when they die. Why would we become so obsessed with it? I think it's important for people to know who they have a relationship with. Mm, I I think that you're saying that that's what should be most important. Yes. I don't think that's what is most important to people. No, because fear has always been just a grade A motivator. (laughs) I was watching Belfast. I was watching Belfast, the Kenneth Branagh movie. Mm -hmm. It's like black and white. It's beautiful. There's some color in it. Um, the moment where the kid is having like a full-on breakdown because the priest said there's two roads and the road that leads to heaven and there's a road that leads to hell and which one are you gonna are you gonna be with the Lord? You're gonna be in the bosom of the Lord or you're gonna be burning in the gates right. of hell? And the kid has a panic and he's like, I don't know where to go. I don't know which way. Which road is it? He says it like I forgot which road yeah. it is. But, but I think that scene this is the right one. That scene comes right after when they're demeaning the Catholics, saying Catholics are driven by fear. Right. And then you go to the Baptist church where they're telling you you're going to hell. And I'm going, really, what's the difference? Catholic fear or or Protestant fear? (laughs) Are there two different hells that they're driving people to? (laughs) Well, this I wrote this down because the kid, the whole kind of premise of the movie is looking at it from a young person's perspective, this idea and this war between the the Catholics and the Protestants. And there's a, there's like a scene where uh, the younger gr- the girl who's older than the the, the protagonist young mm-hmm. boy says uh, you can tell a Catholic by his name, <laughs> and then he she names a few names yeah. Catholic Catholic Protestant Protestant, and then he says but what about Thomas? And she goes Catholic. He goes wrong. It's a Protestant. <laughs> you can tell. And and <laughs> what? They hadn't even met anybody named Raphael. Yes, or, no. Or, we're talking about <laughs> right, <don't you? laughs> wait no no here but I thought it was really interesting because later the kid's talking with the dad mm-hmm. and he's he says we should be Catholics it'd be so much easier we don't need to go to church this much <laughs> that's right you just go get forgiveness <laughs> <laughs> and the dad says wouldn't that be nice <laughs> <laughs> you only have to go and confess and then you're forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so, but I, 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 the question, I do, I do want to ask the question, why is it so important to know which road you go down? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You highlighted earlier that in Genesis 1, it says God created the heavens and earth. Right. It doesn't even mention hell. Yeah, it didn't say in the beginning God created heaven and earth and hell. Because God never created hell for humans. Interesting. And uh, what the scriptures tell us is that this place that we describe as hell or Hades, Gehenna, um, that it was created for the angels that actually fell, that rebelled against God. Okay. And so this place called hell was never created for human beings. It was created for, in the sense that the angelic beings that saw God face to face, that were in God's presence and turned against beauty, purity, holiness, turned against God. So all of us. And although, But it wasn't created for us. Right. It's almost as if um, we broke in. Yeah, uh, we're choosing to go someplace that was never designed for us. 
Uh, humans are designed to live in a relationship with God, to live eternally in his presence, enveloped in his love, filled with his peace and hope and joy. Do you, do you believe there's the, a moment where we choose? On uh, earth, I, on earth, there is, mm-hmm. there's lots of moments, right, for mm-hmm. people who've heard, you know, the story of the gospel, mm-hmm. the story of Jesus, uh, and have given that opportunity. But for what about for the people who haven't? Like, you know, or is there a moment at the end? I know, I know, well, we don't know this, right? So, I, right. but well, we, if you believe the Bible, and uh, which I do, and right. um, no, I do too. I'm just asking these yeah, questions. Yeah. No, then what's interesting is that there are things in the Bible that have been excluded in the Christian conversation because they didn't create the narrative that the Christian theologians wanted. Like what? Like it says in the scriptures that Jesus, after he was buried. Uh, crucified, buried, raised from the dead, that he descended into Hades, that, he, that Jesus descended into hell mm. and preached the gospel and he set the captives free. Now, here's the crazy thing about that. And, and then actually after the, um, the crucifixion, it says that they saw the dead walking among the earth. And so that there's this crazy. moment, there's this walking dead moment where people who were dead were now walking the earth alive. So there's this moment where it's it's almost as if the um, the the veil between the dimensions of time and eternity right. were ripped apart, and we saw into eternity. Now, what we now what we so what does that mean? For okay, us? so um, heaven and hell. I'm not pushing you. I'm just no, no, no. It's okay. People love when you push me because um, you don't let me off the hook, and I think I, they really like that. You have to understand how, <laughs> how sorry I am. For the last episode because i was watching it and it was punishment pure punishment for how i just feel like i was rude and i really do want to adjust how i communicate and i want to elevate my thinking and elevate the way i relate to you and sometimes <laughs> i just come off so stupid and angry <laughs> and caustic and i really I'm, i really want to adjust that all right so here's the way i see it so i'm sorry okay Oh, and no apology needed. Battle ready is. is not, the I come in here, here ready for battle. I'm right. gone here. To the, the news here, but the old's here too. So I'm, I'm working on it. All right. So here, here, here's just a basic construct. Okay. Uh, orthodoxy in Christianity would say that hell is outside of time, and that heaven is outside of time. That heaven and hell are, let's say, places outside of time and space. They are in eternity. So when Jesus went into hell. For some reason, Christians have historically said, okay, Jesus went and preached the gospel to whoever was in hell in that moment, except that hell is outside of time. So that means that every human being that ever lived, that lived in that moment and would ever live in the future was in hell in that moment. Mm. And that if, let's say, if you believe people are sent to hell, it means every single human being who will ever live in the past, the present, or the future, was there in that moment with Jesus, and that Jesus proclaimed freedom to them and gave them a way out. Mm. And so this idea that, oh, no, if you don't give your life to Jesus in this lifetime, you're destined to hell forever, isn't even biblical, because in the Bible it says Jesus descended into hell, and in that eternal moment, every single human being who has ever and, and uh, been sent in a sense has ever gone to hell they were given freedom by Jesus which gives me such extraordinary one hope because I don't want anyone to ever live in an eternity of punishment I don't know why there are so many people who want that and and also 
I know that God is holy and that God is just and that God, um, but he's also more merciful than all of us. And that um, it makes more sense to me that God would always have a way that is more compassionate and merciful than us, that would never violate his holiness and would always remain in truth. Mm. And so if you believe that Jesus descended into hell in that moment, mm. which is what the Bible says, if you believe the Bible, then you have to accept and believe that every human being who has ever lived, who lives and who will ever live, heard Jesus offer them forgiveness and freedom and could have taken it. I don't know how to follow that up like ever again. I think Battle Ready is done. It's over. This is the last Battle Ready of all time. <laughs> so Jesus is the way. Right. And what's beautiful about Jesus is that he doesn't expect us to, quote, find the way. He puts the way right in front of us so that we can step into it. I want to go I want to go deeper. I want to go because I feel like that was so I want no I want to stay in this level of depth. I have more questions kind of regarding other religions and other beliefs, but I want to save that for the next one. All right. So I'm going to write it down. I actually realized I had more notes. This was fun. I really like this because well, I'll go into the next stuff, into the next episode, in the next episode. All right. Okay. Can't wait for next time. No, me neither. And I, I, uh, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm like, I, I wanted to, I wanted to do all of the things. I wanted to cry and that I wanted to, to just reflect. I can't wait to listen back at this. I've heard a lot of these concepts from you at dinner tables. Over the years. Yeah. There is there is another conversation that you've had on Genesis that I want to have at some point. That'd be fun. But maybe what we'll do is we'll keep these little like sections at the end of the podcast. So you kind of have to get there. And and thank you to every single person who listens to this podcast each and every week. Mm -hmm. uh, to watch its growth is an honor. And to have you along the journey is an absolute gift. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on TikTok. You can... <laughs> Uh, rate and review this on Apple Podcasts. I guess you can rate and review on, on Spotify now, or you can rate on Spotify. I guess it's coming. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for everyone who sponsors the podcast and contributes on Anchor. We're really grateful. All the links are in the bio. I want to shout out to Austin St. John for helping us capture this and produce this. Yeah, I'm going to throw uh, this in there. He's solo this week. So I just want to shout out shout out to Brooke Fig, who's taking a week off, but we're oh, so yeah. grateful and for we her love you. and we love her so much. She's become a part of this mm -hmm. podcast and I'm really grateful for her. Tess Roy, who, who quit the podcast because she says she doesn't like to research. <laughs> Go. What were you gonna say? Uh, you know, this past week I was traveling, and a friend of mine said, "Hey, is Battle Ready a, a nonprofit or a for-profit?" And I said, right. "Well, right now we're a nonprofit, and just." Um, and he said, "All right," and he hands me a check for five thousand dollars to Battle Ready. Wow! And I uh, just appreciate, it. and I realized that I, we have friends all over the world. Wow! Who are now choosing to support Battle Ready? It's amazing. And so if you're listening and you love Battle Ready and um, you want to see this continue and expand, mm -hmm. uh, we'd love for you to invest. Yeah. And because the only way we can get the message out to more people is to have more people who really find this valuable to yeah. become partners with us. We love it. And we don't really ask you ever for money. No. So I'm just saying. Um, we just thank the people who figured out how to give some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Because we don't tell people how to do it. No. Okay. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.